Welcome to the Next of the Hub, the TV series hub podcast. Join us to explore the entertainment galaxy in this new feature made with love from fans and for fans. If you like debates, neck talks, and to be well informed about TV and film, this is the podcast for you. From Nerks to Nerks. Welcome to Nerks of the Hub. Our regular hosts couldn't be with you today. They were last seen driving off in standard government issue black suburbans. I'm sure she'll be fine. No. Oh. <laughs> Terrible. So I'm your host today, Kelsey, and I am joined by fellow Nerk Uber. Hello! And the man who created the iconic kick-ass female character of Winona Earp, Bo Smith. How's it going? Glad to be here. We are so happy to have you. Thank you for coming. We love Winona Earp. We love comics. You are the perfect intersection of everything that we want in our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I on my business. Card. Bo Smith, the perfect intersection. I don't know what that will mean, but it sounds really good. <laughs> there you go. Done. That podcast is done. We made a new business card. We'll move there on. It is. So, Bo, I have to ask you, you know, doing our research, uh, come up with, you got your start in comics as a letter hack, which I had to go look up what that was. Um, uh, someone who literally writes letters to comics and then they get printed and use something like 400 letters and got so good at it, they actually solicited letters from you. And I'm like, what is this? I don't even understand. <laughs> so, so how did that, how does that even start? How does that happen? Well, you got to figure I'm from Huntington, West Virginia, born and raised. Uh, that's a town. It's a small town. It's the second biggest town in West Virginia town of about 55,000. But the last 32, in fact, my entire comic book professional career, I've been in Cerrito, West Virginia, which is only 1,400. So, but back then in Huntington, I mean, that's a small town. There was no internet then. That was, this was in the late 70s, early 80s. So there was no internet. How did you connect with not only the publishers, but other comic fans? There wasn't a way other than the letter columns, which were in the back of every comic book. So what I did is I was buying probably six to ten comic books a week. So I'd go home. I'd read one comic before I'd start the other one. I'd write a letter of comment to the editor and the assistant editor of that comic book. I'd sign my full name, which is Stephen Scott Bo Smith. The reason I did that is because everyone else was just putting Joe Edwards, Katie uh, Smith, you know, this would automatically that would set me apart. All right. Then I would write, like I said, after everyone, I try to be I try to add constructive criticism. I try to add a little humor. I just tried to make it very conversational, like I was talking to them. And I did it every week. I started getting responses from I started getting a lot of them printed. Uh, especially in some of the comics that didn't have a big following, they were more than hu- hungry to, you know, print a letter. We got somebody that likes our book, you know, so they would print it. But um, that's how it started. And the editors started uh, writing me, going, "Hey, we've got a new miniseries. We've got a new comic. We'd like to have a letter column in before." So they'd ask for a letter ahead of time. They would send me advance copies, screeners, if you will, and um, slowly but surely. They started asking, have you ever thought about writing comics? Your letters are pretty entertaining. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. 
send us a pitch. And they started, you know, soliciting that I send pitches and stuff, which I did. And that worked out pretty good. I went to the, started going to conventions and I'd meet some of these editors that I talked to and some of the creators and they'd go, yeah, you're the guy with four names. I remember you, you know, so that part kind of, you know, helped out a little bit. And the next thing I know, um, I was getting requests to pitch, did, and my comic book career of writing started it was 1987. And I had probably three to 400 letters printed in comics. So other fans knew me, and I, I got to meet new friends, which some of them are still my buddies today. That's awesome. It's almost like you have a, a built-in fan base, too. They're like, wait, wait, I exchanged letters with him. I'm totally <laughs> going to read his comic book. I still get some of... Uh, Every once in a while, someone will find some old letters and they'll send me JPEGs or they'll put them on Facebook or Twitter. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I start cringing some of the stuff I said back then. But, you know, again, that was 30, almost 40 years ago. So, you know, we can't say something stupid in the past. How can we say anything dumber in the future? So there you go. I like that. I feel like that should be a like a bumper sticker. You can't say something stupid in the past. How can we say anything dumber in the future? That's, that's, that's going to be like our description for the podcast. <laughs> I think you guys are, are a lot smarter than that, but hey, more than welcome to it. <laughs> so then uh, Winona Earp was started in 1996 when it was first published, I guess. 1996. So crazy fun idea on and off through the years, and then suddenly it's back. <laughs> I, I, I laugh because that kind of stuff usually happens when you're 33 and not 63. So I've been in the business 32 years, and that just totally turned everything around. I, like I said, I started doing it in 1996. Actually, I started doing it in third grade when I wrote, instead of doing my math homework, I'd write stories about Wyatt Earp and his three brothers fighting the universal monsters. And, you know, I did that instead of my homework. So in a little bit before 96, I thought, how can I modernize this and do it as a comic book? Well, we'll make it a descendant of Wyatt Earp. Uh, we'll make it uh, so it's a great, great, great granddaughter because most guys would have done another version of Wyatt Earp in the, in now or brought him into modern times. And the other thing I really wanted to hit on, and I did, was I always wanted Wine on Earp to be older. So I always wrote her at 40 to 45 years old. There weren't any women being written at that age. And, and I got to be honest with you, uh, maybe it's a uh, some sort of weird uh, teacher-student fetish or whatever, but I always found <laughs> older, older women than me attractive because of their experience brain-wise. Uh, you know, smart experience. And, and I didn't mean that to come off as some pervy thing, but, <laughs> you know, older women and older men for that matter. Uh, my childhood heroes were always, you know, the other kids wanted to watch movies where the kids were the stars. Well, I didn't. I wanted at the third grade. I wanted to be James Bond. I wanted to be Steve McQueen. I wanted to be these older guys. I didn't. I wasn't interested in movies with kids in. I was a kid. I knew what that was like. Get me out of that hole. I want to be an adult. But it was the same. I wanted to write. So I always wrote Wine on Earth at the age of forty to forty-five, at the peak of her her black badge game, which is a neat thing. When Emily 
read all the first 20 years of wine on her herb. She had her at 27 when she's a mess, when she's starting out. I thought when I read that, I thought that's a great flip flop. That's amazing. We'll do. This is like the living origin of wine on herb. That appealed to me in a huge way. So what you're seeing on the TV show and in the comic book right now is a buildup to what she's going to be at 40, 45, 50 and on. And I've rambled on and on and I apologize for that. No, no. Simple question. And I went on forever. (laughs) No, it's good. We we love that. Well, you know, uh, that that kind of sparks another interesting question from the comics, the costume, because uh, the original Winona costume, it was very, I'll say different than what we see on, on the show. Actually, I'm, I'm trying to imagine Melanie. And I think many people are now uh, what she would look like with the leather bra and the, the the bikini kind of you know with the leather i'm just saying i'm just saying <laughs> yeah that, let me tell you um that you brought up a, a really really good point uh not only did i want to do wine on at 40 45 years old which I, I tried to then but um i went through a lot of uh battles with artists editorial publishing on what Winona Earp was supposed to look like. I had always listed Winona in descriptions, you know, even at the beginning. I, you know, I said she was blonde, she was athletic, built. That was what I was going for, athletic. Um, this is actually Enrique Villagrande. It wasn't until uh, the Yeti Wars that I really got to see Winona Earp how I always envisioned her. And I'm talking, I worked with male artists, I worked with female artists, and they all just couldn't help themselves at the time during the bad girl era of comics. They all wanted to draw her like a stripper with a badge. Barbed wire was huge then, Pamela Anderson. And that's how they all wanted to draw her. I had to, I mean, I I had to, everybody, I had to fight with everybody on that. I would get the pencil roughs in. Well, no, this isn't it, and no changes would be made. And that's kind of tough when it's a creator-owned project. It was frustrating. And Mm. what I would get is, this is what sales, this is what they want. I said, but this isn't what I created. Like I said, until the Yeti Wars came along, and Enrique Villagran, the artist I worked with on that, was a very good friend of mine. He and I, uh, in fact, I worked with him when I broke into the industry. He understood and he respected what I had asked for, and he, he gave it to me in spades. Since then, we've had no problem. She is, even in her blonde version, always looked as she should. But the first few years were rough. And um, I always felt it distracted. I did not want it to be just like everything else that was being put out right then. And also, respect is another thing. I was trying to respect women of that age as well as women, period. And it was a constant fight. In the long run, did it make the character stronger? Did it make me stronger as far as my stance on that? Yeah, it did. So, you know, I guess sometimes you got to get beat up on the playground before, you know, you can actually understand what, say, bullying is or uh, getting your lunch money taken away from you. But uh, nobody takes my lunch money away from me now. So, you know, that you're actually making a really good point, because I know growing up, I had to 
I guess, accept that, oh, okay, women, it's going to just, that's the way it was. That was the way they were going to be portrayed. And I never really wanted to see that. I wanted to, uh, you know, I just, I, I think it's silly uh, and obvious, but uh, I appreciate when, when characters are drawn with the, with, with the uh, clothing that they wear, that it's appropriate, that it works, that it makes sense. And it's not something that's so, you know, so yeah. obvious, you know? And so I had to grow up with that as a, as a kid reading comics, it was just sort of a given, well, it's a comic book drawn by men who think of women like that, you know, in a certain, I'm like, okay, you know, I was a kid. I just, yeah. that was the way it was, but yeah, you make a really good point there. Well, I, and I'll flip it back the other way. Um, I've been reading comic books since I was four years old. And my version of what me as a kid and to be a man, a teenager or whatever, you know, all I saw was Batman, Superman, Captain America. Mm-hmm. I wasn't built like that. My right. jawline wasn't, you know, heroic like that. Uh, that's why I have the beard. It's my fake jawline. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's the same thing. Um, you can you can take it the same way. I mean, do you, how many people do you know that are built like Superman that you know on a regular basis you see every day? And as a guy, you know, I kept thinking, well, well, <laughs> no. As a guy, am I good enough? I'm not good enough. I don't look like Superman. No, my ego is so huge <laughs> that I thought I am better. <laughs> no, it, it did. I mean, it, but that was the way it was already done. Always done. It was done by men, and with Winona Earp in the '90s, and this is from a business marketing standpoint. If you want to get that base about it, I thought, why would I want to cut out the female readership when I can have male and female readership? That's insane. That right. that makes no sense to me at all. It's like, uh, and I don't mean to drag it into this. But you've seen it on social media with politics. That's the latest pick a sides kind of thing. And I've got a lot of creator buddies who left or right get on there and are pretty petty. They're pretty mean on both ways with other people that don't feel the same way they do. And I'm thinking, why are you cutting your livelihood in half and from a business end? And not only that, but why are you cutting out? the chance to share a creation you love and and of a craft that you love to do from half of your audience. That makes no sense. I'm not talking about pandering to one or pandering to the other, make it compelling stories. So everybody can like it. Yeah. It's just so simple and so frustrating at the same time. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I, I'm, Glad to hear that because I know, so I came to your comic from the TV show first and the current comic, you know, is, is very, it's not, it is not the TV show. It's a tie in and it's wonderful and I love it. And then I went back and read the old stuff and I was like, why is she sitting like that in the car with her <laughs> boobs out? This is not like his character has like grit and determination and spunk and is funny. But then she's like, oh, I have to arch my back to drive the car. (laughs) So I'm glad to know that that wasn't you. (laughs) If you read, if you can, you know, and you hide the pictures and just read the dialogue, you're going to see that's 40 to 45 year old Winona that you know. There's plenty of humor. There's plenty of this. And again, I'm not, I don't mean to get to where the artists I've worked with 
early on or, or mad at me for saying this. It was just the times. That was the times we were. Those were the times we were in. That's what happened. I cannot. I cannot reinvent the past. Uh, just like whether you take anything, world wars, slavery, anything like that, we cannot reinvent it, but we can learn from it. And, you know, that's uh, the artists I work with on all those were hilarious, great, talented people. It was just the time, times that we were in it it, right then. It just, it just was. There's no, there's no apologies, no anything like that. It's just the way it was. Um, I used to, in the past, I used to be a lot better looking, but you know, I've accepted the path, the future now. So. Just like Tim Rosan with the beard. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, Tim. He's so he handsome. Is, he's a wonderful person. <laughs> so when you get the call, I guess, is it, did they come to you and say, we're going to make this a TV show? We want you to do a comic. Were you putting it out there? How did that even come about? We had done uh, the last comic book we had done was uh, do, 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 yeah, why don't Earth the Yeti Wars is a graphic novel, and that was before the television series. I will say I'll, I'll give you a couple little inside things. Winona Earp had been optioned for television twice before. First time in the late nineties with a gentleman um, showrunner and producer Peter Lenkoff optioned it when it first came out, and Peter. Was a young guy in Hollywood, just kind of starting out. Now he is the executive producer and showrunner on Hawaii Five-0 that's on television and has has been for a while now, and the new Magnum PI TV show. So Peter had gone off. It just he had uh, probably a year or two to do something with it. Couldn't get anybody to bite on it studio-wise. Then a few years later, Fox optioned it, but they optioned Winona Earp the same time they optioned Dollhouse and mm-hmm. fringe so there was jj abrams joss sweden and bo smith okay we've got three <laughs> shows we've optioned are science fiction bins okay who are we gonna go with first so <laughs> it was optioned for about a year or so and they weren't able to do because those two shows lasted a little bit and then they went eh, we're not gonna do science fiction now so but that's been done twice and every time it's been optioned Ted Adams, the C, former CEO of IDW, from day one, he was working for Image Comics, who was producing uh, Wine on Earth then, said this needs to be a TV series. And I thought, you know, as a friend, so thanks, Ted. You know, I appreciate that. That's great. But he kept saying it year after year after year, and he never let go of it. And it's through his grit and determination that it happened because he never stopped showing it to the right eyeballs and he showed it around and um, sci-fi was interested. And so they continued to pitch. He goes, Hey, sci-fi is interested. You ready to go with this boat? Sure. And then they sent me Emily's manual spec script pilot and all that. So I sit down and read that one day, totally different from what I'd done. Totally different. And I went, uh, just the initial reaction. Oh, gosh, no, this isn't what I want to do. No, oh, this isn't what I want to And then I set it aside. I said, I'm going to set this aside for a day. So I thought about it, you know, walking the dog, taking a hike, in the shower. I thought about that stuff. Next day, I come back to it and reread it again. And it, to be real honest, without sounding corny, it made perfect sense in the fact 
I've been doing wine owner for 20 years in the comic book market. My demographics, my fan base was males, 15 to 55. I'd conquered that. I had a great core audience, but the book was selling the same every time it came out. Selling good, but still not taking it over the top. And I said, to get it to a wider audience, it's going to need to be different. And a television audience can do that. And by doing what Emily had written down, which I liked, granted, I said it was totally different. I didn't say I didn't like it. I said, this is probably what needs to be done. There were two changes that Ted and I made. They Emily did those immediately. And then the rest is what you see coming out of Emily's head. And it turned my fan base completely around. Now my fan base is women 15 mm-hmm. to 55. I would say half or maybe even 75% is gay lesbian, which is, again, I went from being the titan of testosterone to <laughs> of estrogen. It, it was, you know, uh, 32 years in this business on marketing and writing. If you would have told me that, I would have said, you're nuts. I mean, I know that sounds like a cliche, but it is. I would have said that can't happen, especially like I brought back, brought forth earlier. That happened at 30. Yeah. At 60. No, no way. <laughs> and it, it did. And it brought a whole new audience to a character that I created basically in third grade. And it's been wonderful because the fan base, and I even hesitate to say fan, the friend and family base is because that's the way Winona is treated. And that's the way myself, the cast, Emily, the crew, everyone else is treated. You cannot ask for anything better than that. I mean, that is a real dream come true. I've had many years of having a male-based fan, which I still have that fan base. But they come up to you to con, smack you on the shoulder. Hey, Bo, snarky remark, snarky remark, which is great. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's the way we do. But now I've got, I've got people come up treating respect, friendly, nice. Here, Bo, I know you like pocket knives. Here's a pocket knife. I'm, you know, my other fan base was trying to stab me with that pocket knife. So it, it, it's been amazing. And my uh, my wife, Beth, was she'd always known how my fan base was and stuff. You know, you and the guys, you all go eat dinner. I'm going to go, you know, over here and do this. Now, she, you know, it's like a family reunion. She's with it. You know, we're having the best time ever. It... Uh, it works out great. And it's, it's nice having a male and a female fan base. And again, I, I hate saying fan base because I can never imagine anybody going, Bo, I'm your fan. You know, no, I'm your bill collector, something like that. But uh, but it's <laughs> it's just really amazing. And I'm very, very thankful. Well, you know, you're bringing up the, the fandom, the erperdom, yes. uh, the 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 whole of uh, of erp. Uh, and you're right. It is a family. It is easily uh, one of the best fandoms that I've been a part of. It is respectful. Even when there's disagreements, it's like, oh, that's OK. I know we will have different opinions. And I'm like, uh, do you understand TV fandom? You're supposed to start uh, throwing knives at each other at this point. You're you're you're, you're so polite. What? What? Yeah. Let's start. A, let's start a war here. Come on. 
No, it's not like that at all. It's it's all love. It's all loving. It's all uh, you know. And I lo- I'm glad. I'm so happy that uh, that that's reflected to you all and to hopefully the casting crew. We yeah. feel it from them as well. But I wanted to ask you about fan interactions because I got to know with the type of writing and the type of stories, do you get any questions that maybe you might consider, I don't know, a little crazy or, or, or what's, you know, how, how are your questions go? What, what kind of questions do you get? To be honest with you, I have not had any, um, sometimes when a series or whether it's comic book or television, really goes off it fires and stokes up a lot of what we'll call fan fiction and sometimes the fan fiction gets to the point where they're going well this is the way i see it and this is the way it should be and because you're not changing this or we want to see we want to see the character this way that even on emily's end of course i haven't seen that happen I've seen everyone enjoying what's come out and they hope sometimes for this or like with Doc turning into a vampire this season, a lot Mm -hmm. of people were, oh, but it wasn't a, oh, put on the brakes. It was a, oh, this is shock. What are you going to do? And that, that's been a, a really neat example of trusting Emily and the writers on the TV series trusting me as the creator and writer of the comic book to take those characters, fictional characters to a place that you'll be interested in going. My, my thing with characters, and this is the way I've always done it. If your character, number one, above everything else is not likable or relatable in some way, then any conflict or situation you put them in means nothing. And I've always, that was one of the things when Emily first sent her thing in, I said, the character and the characters have to be likable and relatable. She's done that in spades. I mean, just, you know, I think that's also Emily's way of writing. If you've looked at uh, uh, Lost Girl or any of the other shows she's done before, you always like her characters. You always feel for them. And you look at Bobo Del Rey in (laughs) the first comic book. That was her Winona's first villain. Yeah, you know, he was evil. He's a crime lord for the paranormal in my book. But I said he's got to have something. First of all, I gave him, they were redneck trailer trash kind of criminals, not Dr. Doom, uh, high tower type of stuff. And the other thing, I wanted to give him a quirk. And his quirk was he has a thing for the Andy Griffith show. Say, don't insult Aunt B. <laughs> And I thought, my editor at the time, what the hell's this? And I explained to him, I don't think he quite got it. I said, the readers will get this. I said, this will be something, if nothing else, it will make them smile. And I said, if you can make somebody smile in a comic or on a TV series, then you scored. And that was the thing. Billy Joe Robidoux, the villain in Yeti Wars, is this charming Josh Holloway Sawyer kind of guy that splices DNA of humans with animals, but yet he's, he's funny. He's flirting with Winona. She's kind of semi flirting back at him as she's trying to shoot him. But there's that, <laughs> that thing, Mars Del Rey, Bobo's younger brother. 
who is in the, the new series and will be in the next graphic novel. We get to explore, Tim and I are going to get to explore the Winona Waverly relationship on the mm-hmm. dark side, Bobo and Mars, how it is on the bad side. Is it that different? Is it a parallel? So you'll get to find that out in Bad Day at Black Rock, the graphic novel we're working on now. So you always have to give a villain either a relatable or a likable or a quirky point to make yeah, it's I the fan and readership and viewership has been so open to that. I have yet to get uh, any anybody telling me what to do, and I don't think Emily has as well. And that's not saying we're the world's greatest writers. It's just saying that the the readers and the viewers really care about the characters. Yeah, well, I would say, I mean, the writing. I know I'm. I'm thinking about in particular in the new series. You have Winona fighting in the mall with. Uh, Val and they're fighting like the undead and there's this moment where after she's locked the Boy Scouts away and and Val questions her on it because they're supposed to kill everybody and Winona's like all kids deserve hope I didn't have any hope as a kid and I was so that moment stuck in my head because I thought you write so funny and so quippy and she's such a badass but somehow you manage to also insert these little moments of of heart and family and past that really that make the difference. I mean, it's, it's extremely impressive. So yes, I do think you are the best writer. <laughs> I, I cannot thank you enough for what you just said. When I write this stuff, I'm writing it in a, a little room here at the, at the house. And you know, you wonder, is anybody going to like this? Is anybody going to get this? And I, I sincerely appreciate that. That is why I write because of what you just said. Yeah, writing the fun part and the action stuff is, is is a lot of fun. But writing the heart, if someone gets that, then that's you know, that's monstrous and I, I really appreciate it. I can't thank you enough for that. Oh well you're welcome. Thank you for giving us that. So when you when you write you write this, it's your baby and then you send it off. And and you do you how much control? I mean, you kind of talked about with the the old, you know, having some difficulties with with having Winona portrayed the way you wanted. But nowadays, you're kind of a you know you're kind of a big deal. Um, and you know you've got Cobb. Did you hear that? <laughs> he looks at me, give me a treat, and you'll be a big deal. <laughs> um, do you have more control artistically over what is portrayed? Is it still sort of like? cross your fingers and hope the art comes out the way you want. Is there stuff that surprises you when you're like, oh, I didn't know that was going to be shown that way in that scene. That's cool. That's terrible. (laughs) In the comic book, no, since we started it and restart, ever since Yeti Wars, complete control has been mine. Actually, since I've been at IDW. Okay. Since Ronan has been at IDW, complete control, no, uh, no problems at all. IDW was based on the fact Ted, that's why Ted started it with his co-founders years ago was for creator rights. And, you know, this is your thing. Let us help you share it with everyone. So, no, there's there's been no problem at all. Uh, in fact, with the artists that I've worked with, whether it's been uh, Enrique Villagran, Laura Ennis, uh, Chris Evan Hughes, if anything, I've sent my scripts out. I'll write in full script. They've been sent out and not only does it come out as I saw it in my head, but it comes out better. They, it's the great thing about collaboration with an artist. They add so 
much more. A lot of times it'll be small, simple touches. You brought up the issue where Winona and the team are in the mall fighting zombies and Dr. Phil. And there's a scene, and I, you know, I wrote the panel out pretty much as it came out, but Laura had Winona leaning on the upper atrium of the mall looking down at all the stuff that was happening, the other characters are doing, but the her having Winona forefront leaning on that thing and the expression on her face was perfect. And I saw that when it came in, I said, that is far beyond what I had in mind and it's even better. So those moments are great when they happen. And luckily enough, they happen a lot. Chris Evans is just, he's an artist. He's an actor's artist. If you look at his work and facial expressions and body movements, you'll see so much. And so much of that is, Chris, I'll say, you know, Winona is a little annoyed at what Valdez is doing right now, not in a pissed off, I want to kill you, but a friend annoyed. And Chris just gets that and adds these little touches and it comes out so much better. So no, I've, I've got, there's complete control. Everything's great. And uh, if anything else, it's better. Jay Fotis, the colorist adds so much to this as far as mood. So, and I don't think Jay gets enough credit sometimes with what he does. I get it. And the artist gets it because they'll see their black and white pencils and inks come in going, Oh, he made me look like a brilliant genius. I mean, just Jay, Jay loves doing his stuff and, He's very, very good at it. Very cool. I think, Uber, this is the part where you say, yes, Bo, you are a genius. <laughs> you, let me just say, you are totally reading my mind right now. I was just sitting here thinking, gosh, this man's a genius. <laughs> oh, gosh, wait, wait a minute. Kelsey, Uber, Christmas card list, must. Okay, I've got it. Well, I actually, um, I actually wanted to ask you what it was like working with the actors, with the cast, with Melanie, with with Tim. Kind of tell me what your what those kind of uh, interactions are like, and how that relationship goes. And uh, can I add on there is Tim as um, <clears throat> let's just say dashing. Dashing is a good word for it <laughs> uh, in real life as he is on TV. <laughs> Tim is every bit as dashing as he is. In real life, without a doubt, I got to tell you, um, which is odd. Tim is probably the most selfless and thankless guy I've ever met. I mean, he constantly and he does this in his restaurant business. He does this in his acting. He does this in his writing. He does this in his life. He is always instinctively, not premeditated, putting everyone else above him or before him, everything he does. And he's, I got to say, he's been an inspiration in, in a, for me. I mean, I'm old enough to be his dad, but yet I've had situations come up in my life. And I don't even realize stuff where I go, well, what would Tim do? I'll do that. You know, it's been situations where you go, okay, am I going to bust this guy's jaw? Or am I going to help him out? What's going to be? I said, well, I, I actually said, what would, what would Roseanne do? And that big deal, because it's always the right thing. I end up doing the right thing. And Tim is a very giving person. I mean, he honestly just is. I've seen it 
on so many levels at work and then outside of work. It's amazing. So working with Tim, Tim's a long time, lifelong comic book reader and collector. Mm -hmm. So we, we came in, I wrote with him first and at first uh, and I'm going, okay, everybody said, Hey, won't you write with some of the cast members? And I said, okay, you know, that'll be good. But part of me is also going, Oh gosh, am I (laughs) two things? They're either going to be terrible or I'm going to, at best, I'm going to have to hold their hand. I did. Tim came in. Tim knows screenwriting is, is looks the same as comic book uh, script writing. Not much difference. Mm-hmm. It's a craft because you have to use, you only have five, six panels per page sometime at most. Where on television, you could talk forever. And there's not that. But Tim... Other than I had to calm his text, his dialogue back because he was used to being able to have, you know, two minute talks. <laughs> that, that was the worst part of teaching. But that wasn't a bad thing. Tim's an excellent student. But Tim came in. He had the mechanics. He had the beats all down. Bang, bang, bang. And I mm-hmm. found myself going, oh, this isn't bad. This isn't bad at all. And. It's the same thing I told him and Melanie when they started this, because they were both a little apprehensive. Not only were they working with the creator of the character they know and play, but it was in a field that they hadn't worked in before. I said, you've got nothing to worry about. Worst case scenario, I'm your safety net. We'll be fine. You know, if you make something you can't get or what, I said, we'll we'll get that and it won't be a problem. So they had that to fall back on. With Tim, it, it took no time at all, and he was he had the mechanics down, the beats down, the ideas. He's got a lot of really good ideas and added a lot of really neat stuff to the characters. Uh, Boone Helm, the character and villain, who's a nasty, cerebral kind of villain, Tim brought him. He, this was based on a real character. Tim had found him, brought him forth. He goes, Let's, can we use this guy as a bad guy? And I went, Yes. And Tim goes, well, I've got this idea and this idea for him. And they were brilliant. We used that and we did that. So, you know, Tim, Tim brought mechanics and compelling storytelling to the table. Uh, easy guy to work with, but he takes, he takes my phone calls a bit too serious. <laughs> Anytime I call, he answers no matter what he's doing. Two calls I've had with him. He was in the shower. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he goes like this. He's going, Yay, Mr. Smith, what's going on? And I'm going, Dim, you got no clothes on. Well, you called. It's got to be important. <laughs> Nothing so important that I have to see you semi naked. <laughs> Feel free to conference us in next time, you know. <laughs> Better you than me. And so he's done that. And then recently he was over at the UK uh, con. Six o'clock in the morning, my time, I'm in a dead sleep. <laughs> I get this thing, it's FaceTime, and him and the artist, Chris Evanhuis, are both over there together going, hey, Mr. Smith, they're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I'm going, oh, I'm going to kill you both. <laughs> and laughing, hee-hawing, I'm, I'm going, no, this is not a good time to wake me up. That's, that's the only part I hold against Tim's timing. But no, that was good. Now, with Melanie, <laughs> God. <laughs> Melody handed her first parts of the script in. And I got to be honest with you. I said, Emily wrote this for her. Emily, Emily wrote this. This, is, this stuff's funny. This is good. Not that Melanie can't be or isn't, but 
it was so funny, so dead on. I said, eh, and I'm being honest with you. And I told them this too. I said, Emily's written this. Then I find out Emily's never read maybe two or three of the comics since then. And I'm thinking, oh, Mel wrote this. Whoa, my gosh. She kept sending pages in and right away. So I knew there was no way she was doing this. I mean, that she was having help. She was doing this. And I started thinking, I'm going to have to start wearing adult diapers. This is funny stuff. Funny. That's the difference. Tim brings the compelling drama. Mel brings the, the likability, the relationship, and mm-hmm. the funny stuff. Oh, I can see now when I watch the dailies, when things are really funny that Mel says, is, oh, she's and I know where it's coming from now. She's full. She can be a full-blown comedian. She's mm-hmm. funny. And her dialogue and stuff is hilarious. So that was a huge thrill for me. She was easy to work. She, Mel wants to learn to write comic books. She is so she's interested in the craft of writing comics because it is different. You do not have a lot of words. Uh, you you don't you can't have a lot of text to mm-hmm. fill it in. And she also likes the aspect that and this is something Emily and I agreed with uh, at the beginning. We have the television show and what goes on there. The comic book, it's the same characters, kind of like some of the same stuff, but we don't. I never wanted the comic book to repeat what was on TV and TV to repeat was we want to give the readers and the viewers something new on both. Kind of like a parallel universe, but not so that you can have Doc may be a vampire on the show, but he's going a different way in the comic book. Same Doc different situations. So you're actually getting uh, more layers to your cake that way. And it makes everything to new and, and, and fun stuff like that. Cause as you see Bobo Del Rey in the, in the television series, yes, criminal crime Lord, uh, the trailers were there, this and the other, but she, Emily got to expand upon Bobo in her creative way. So I get to keep Bobo kind of like how I've had him, even though he looks the same. It's it's the best of both worlds. Uh, Emily and I really feel that way. It's the best of both worlds that way. Any comic book reader worth their salt, you know, knows alternate universes, yes. alternate realities. <laughs> That's like the bread and butter of all things comics. Is that uh, that totally in play? And, and that's what I'm thankful uh, that you said that because I mean that's what we were hoping to go for. We just want to give everybody a little bit more. Uh, than they can get. It's just extra stuff. So Melanie's really interested in that. And they like her and Tim both like having an unlimited budget. You know, our, our TV shows a small budgeted show, but in comics, they can be anywhere. They can do anything. That's, that's not a, a, a problem. So that's kind of an attraction. I am sad that we don't have that moment of like her riding the motorcycle and then like hitting the town line and becoming a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, that would be that would be fun. There's there's a couple of things out that uh, I would love to, to love to see happen. And, and they may in season four. We'll see. You never know. I want I have two questions in for you. Season three, season four, season three. Biggest oh shit moment when Emily told you what was happening and season four. Can you give us a little teaser? Again, everything is still up in the air at this point as far as what Emily and the writers are going to do. They've got a lot of ideas. Maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. The things that I have heard 
and been bounced off of, I'm really excited about and unfortunately can't on those two matters, can't say too much about it right now. <laughs> I figured really, that'd be the case. <laughs> it really was ruined, but there are two points that I'm I herpers are good at being detectives. So there are two points oh, yeah. that, that may happen in season four that I am very uh, excited about if these things happen. Now, on another end, if you think this year has been insane, uh, then there are reasons for the insanity. And season four will show you who ends up in the rubber room and who doesn't. Um, There's Mm -hmm. some crazy uh, stuff. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's times like that I wish I had that much space and time for dialogue that that Emily and the gang do to be able to do that sort of stuff within the comic book. Um, Oh gosh. I I suspect, and I'm looking really far in the future and I'm just guessing, but I think whether Winona goes seven years or 70 years, I think season four will probably be the season everybody looks back on and says, you know, this series went, I'm going to make up, say it went, goes eight seasons, 10 seasons. I think season four will always be the season. If all these ideas happen, that everybody will go this, this was a benchmark. This was a golden moment in this series. <laughs> You're killing us, man. Well, I mean, how do you think I feel on this end? <laughs> Have them bounce this stuff back and we're going, yes, yes, yes. And they're going, well, we don't know. You know, it's 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 really and it's also tough for me to go, okay, if you're not going to do it there, I'm going to do it in the comic. You know, that kind of. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that was a great idea. I'm stealing that. Yes. Oh, we, Emily and I have talked about swiping from each other on a few things. So <laughs> that, that, that's not too bad. Not too bad at all. That's awesome. So what then what was your biggest oh shit moment from season three when they were telling you what was going to happen? Did you have a moment of like, really? You're going to do that to my baby? We got to look at it this way. Winona and Bobo are the two characters that I created. Waverly, Hot, Doc is historical, but that Doc and some of the other characters are Emily's and the writers, especially Emily's. So with Winona, no, I have not had any, you're not going to do this to my baby moments. And even Bobo, not, that's all been great. But I got to say, as, as And this is going from an insider viewer. Let, let's call me that. There's viewers, and I'm an insider viewer because I get to see the dailies. Waverly's family situation was an oh shit moment. Doc becoming a vampire was an oh shit moment. I mean, I'd see the dailies, and I'm going, well, what's it? Because I don't see it with the special effects either. So some of it's going, what the hell's he doing? Or what's she doing? There's... I was just, and I can't say anything because of the two-hour finale, but wow, I was, those were big time for me. Yeah, stunned. I mean, like, you pulled that out of left field, and you were a right fielder's glove on. I mean, wow, that's some amazing stuff. So, yeah, those those were, those were my moments there. Um, regrets so far? I'll, I'll, I'll even toss this in. I really miss stupid Carl. 
I really, I'd, I'd like to see Steve Carlton back. I love that. He was this running gag character that, oh my gosh, if they just every once in a while. And I like, that's why I like The Revenant still, because, you know, the, the bad guy game has gotten bigger than The Revenants in the first season. It's gotten a lot bigger. But I love, anytime they show up, they're like these lovable goofball bad guys that can't stab somebody in the knife without stabbing themselves first. And they are so enjoyable. Winona is wonderful with them because she treats them like dogs, talks to them like, and it's great. It's, it's this great back and forth thing. It went from the first season where she was like unsure how am I going to handle all these guys are scary to where now it's, you know, and it's a fun moment. It's a, it's almost a comedy relief in a neat way. So I love the revenants in, in that aspect and stuff. It's like uh, the the monster out of the mine this past episode. I'm thinking, well, this is even in the dailies. This is going to be fun. Yeah, he's big and scary, but why not just going to have fun with this? So, yeah, I love that. Love that kind of stuff. Yeah, they definitely do walk that line between like it's scary, but it's funny and it's never like a horror. It's always a sci fi. It's always fun and interesting. And yeah. And yeah, the revenants are, they are the comic relief now. I mean, it, which is funny considering it, you know, and yeah, it's, they come a long way, but I guess we have come a long way as Winona has yes. as well. We've grown with her to where like, who cares about them? Like, boom, they're taken care of. We got a bigger guy over here. Exactly. It ups the game as you just, you just referred to. And you look at the, um, the witches and sisters, they up the game. They were scary. I mean, mm-hmm. they were Truly scary. Uh, Bolshar is not exactly the guy you want to see appear in your your living room. So they have upped the game with with bad guys, and that's huge. I mean, they've not gotten it's not gotten to the point where it's so intergalactic, so Thanos in the Marvel thing, to where it's just too big. This is stuff you don't want to wake up in the middle of the night and see at the bottom of your bed, which is perfect for wine on earth. Perfect. I always thought Champ was a scary character. You know, uh, Roy, uh, Waverly's boyfriend from the first season. Right. He was creepy. He was a creepy. I've known guys like that, and I thought he was creepy. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a small, small level, but you think emotionally, he was a, a scary person. Yeah, you're right. When you think about it that way, yes, he would do a more emotional damage than I was like scary. I don't know about scary, but creepy and and certainly a creep. Um, yes, but yes, yeah, scary in an emotional way. And, well, we all cheered when uh, when Nicole punched him. You know, we all we were all like, "Yeah, you go, girl." <laughs> what a payoff that was! Now I'll tell you, a character that I miss is uh, Juan Carlo. Uh, oh, yeah. I thought that was a great character. That was mysterious, just as Kevin is now. I love the character Kevin because, again, you've got I love having a character that you don't know everything about that. And Emily is so good at dangling that carrot in front of you and pulling the stick back just enough to make you want it even more. So I'm very excited. And here I'm, you know, I'm just talking as a viewer. That's that's some fun stuff. So can I ask real quick, because I know Uber wanted to follow up, but before that, can we ever hope to meet Valdez in the TV show? Because I love her character. 
I thank you from the bottom of my heart on that. Valdez is a character I created 15 years ago. I just did not have the right platform to put her in. And Valdez, like Winona Earp, is as close to me as a character uh, in my heart as I can get. I mean, this is something you create a character every once in a while that just strikes a chord with you. You've got it all figured out. And Valdez is one. I would love to see Valdez in the series. Granted, in the comic book, she's six foot five, 200 pounds. It's going to be hard to find a, a female actress that size. So I personally have no problem if she ends up being five. It's the, it's the attitude and the character that needs to be correct, not especially the size. Because trust me, I've got buddies, uh, friends that are five foot five that you don't want to be on the wrong side of. And Valdez is a lot deeper character uh, than we've had time in the comic book to even portray. There's going to be in the comic book a, a point where she gets to talk a little bit about how she feels about something when it's brought up to her. Really going to shock. And I'm looking forward to that moment. Keep in mind, that is that character. That is not me. That is not someone else. That is that character saying some of these things that they will say. And it's it'll be really, I hope, compelling. But Valdez, I love that character. I mean, I just, I have to restrain myself in writing not to end up making this a Valdez and Winona comic. Because I just want to, the vacation which was seven I had that I could have gone on and on and on I had to cut so much out of that because I was having too good of a time so um, yeah I would love to see uh, Valdez in the series you know if she's uh, if she's Valdez I'd love to see it let's put it there I'd also like to see Smitty I'll, I'll be honest with you I'd like to see Smitty in there now granted Smitty's kind of been in there with my cameo but I don't mean me playing it but I'd love to see the Smitty character in there I think him and Nedley would get along great. They'd be good buddies. Very good buddies. Could get a good bar scene. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, Valdez is just, the response on Valdez has been great. So many people have gotten her and what she's about. And there's so much to her backstory. I think you're, if you like her, you're really, really going to like all the other stuff. I mean, She's been around thousand. She's been around at least a thousand years. There's things she's seen, she's done. Why is her name Valdez? Where does that come from? There's a lot of stuff that I'm just really itching to tell. <laughs> I'm like, just go ahead, just lay it all out. Come on, just right now, just just put it out there. We're good. No, I know. I'm that's very exciting. Maybe I'll do a I get to do a Valdez uh, miniseries in the comics, <laughs> would which would cool. sure help things. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm serious. I. I I am doing my best to restrain myself. There are a lot of, I think you, you're going to enjoy a lot of it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll come back on and talk to us about it then. Oh, after we did season three, Tim and I did season three and there was that major fight, the confrontation. And this, this is Doc in the comics, especially, you know, everybody forgets he was a gunslinger, went through a lot of stuff in real life and he liked it. I mean, he's good at killing people. He really is. The real doc was, and the doc in the comic is, just as Valdez is a warrior. I mean, she is, again, stuff that she has gone through. And then we had that moment in season zero 
where both of them have been through hell and lost, you know, people that they like. And they're standing there looking at each other. And Doc looks at her and goes, Valdez. He goes, Holiday. And you can see in each other's eye. In his eye, he sees her in that fight and how it affected him. In her eye, she sees him in that fight, how it affected her. Call it an aphrodisiac. But they, <laughs> next thing you know, she's throwing him in the back of that SUV going, come, <laughs> we ride. And that was just, I mean, you know, Doc had been flirting with her all this time. And she was totally just, mm, mm, mm. so it, he finally found out kind of what turns Valdez on in a way. And you see uh, way hot, you see Waverly and, and hot standing there looking at what's going on. Are they going to fight? Are they going to, what's going on here? And they see what happens. And Waverly just kind of turns her, we're riding together, aren't we? And Hot's going, uh-huh. So, <laughs> you know, it kind of, it's like spin the bottle for adults. And it was, that was one of the, I got to write that moment. And it was a moment I wanted to write because we'd been through this conflict and this confrontation. And then you get to see a little of the inner workings of all four of those characters, one in a rough way and one in a sweet way. So, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just I enjoy getting to write these characters a lot. I thank Emily constantly. She's probably sick of hearing it for letting me play with her characters in this book. She's never said, Bo, don't do this. Bo, don't do that. Or, you know, it's uh, I try to keep it respectful to, to her, what she's done. But it's, you know, she she puts her foot to the floor and then I get to take her fumes and have some fun with that. So it works out good. Well, there's so much there. I mean, there's so much potential. And hearing you talk, I, I, I'm just like, I want it all. Give it all. <laughs> um, no, honestly. And oh, by the way, and as a, as a as a total aside here, Kelsey and I would be totally okay with signing non-disclosure agreements. Just throwing that out there, completely unrelated to this conversation. But just wanted to <laughs> make that known to you. With all the with all the stuff that there is, with the, with how big this universe is. Do you have any other projects that you'd like to see realized on the small screen or is your focus just all Winona right now? Um, no, it's, it's never one thing right now. Yeah. Winona is the biggest thing on the plate. Another creator own series I did at IDW called Cobb, a former secret service agent who is kind of rudderless and ends up helping others that are too weak to help themselves. Um, that was a series, a three-issue series that was out as a graphic novel that I did at IDW. That's under development for a television series as well right now. And again, even though it's no science fiction, it's straight crime story stuff, mm -hmm. there's still the quirky humor in that. If you ever read those three issues, you will see that. It's, it's a really rough book uh, as far as crime goes. But uh, he's up against the Russian mob that are also uh, facilitating terrorists for detonators if they want. If, if, if I could put it, it's a kind of a cross between the Equalizer and uh, 24. It's that kind of action. But again, you've got a character of Cobb, former Secret Service agent, and we show it from the time he was a kid on the playground. He is hardwired. It's not from some tragic childhood it's not from this that he i wanted to go something pure and simple with a hero he does and protects people because it's the right thing to do mm -hmm. no other 
strange, weird reason. It, he, he's someone who does the right thing. And it's, it shows from his childhood to his adulthood. That's why he was a Secret Service agent. That's why he even has to do it after being a Secret Service agent. And that's something I've always wanted to portray of what a hero is. You would look at it and you think this is going to be a stock, you know, guy. Oh, he's bang, bang, shooting and fighting stuff. But he's the real thing is he's doing things for the right reason. And I have to tell you, there's a little bit of the show scandal and making everything relatable as far as political intrigue and romance in it as well. Because whether people know it or not, uh, you know, even as the titan of testosterone, I've always been able to write romance. I'm dead serious. I know people would scoff and mock me for that, but I can. It's nothing I've ever been ashamed of, like a lot of other guys. No, I can write that stuff because I've lived it. Let me tell you, I've lived it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> high school. When I was in high school, you, you're talking 1973. You know, um, it was different then. Everything was different. But, you know, you, you took a girl out to the movies. You took them to get something to eat. Took them home, met their parents, went, and that was it. That was, no. Hey, I may not have been able to wine and dine them at a fancy place, but I would take them to a little hot dog stand drive-in thing. Pull up, we're sitting there like that before the we order the hot dogs before the movie and stuff. I pull out a little rose and a vase, set it on the console, sit there. I had a little I, first published work I ever had was poems. I had a little thing of poems that uh, got published when I was in high school. I had a poem just for her, I gave it to her. This is all, you know, from the heart. This wasn't any Lord have mercy, nobody could premeditate some of this, but it was <laughs> stuff, you know, you, you like somebody, you want to do nice things for them. And no, I can do, bottom line is I can do the romance, have faith in me. That's all I'm asking. I'm like, so that you had like a little personal poem. I'm like, oh my God, this podcast just took a really sweet turn. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't one of the roses or red, violets or blue thing. No, this was, this was, you know, I wrote, I wrote the stuff out and I didn't share a lot of it with my buddies because two things they'd either you know laugh at me or they'd steal it and i, you know, I can't have that so you know oh that's adorable i've got uh, a majority of all the junior high and high school notes that we'd pass in class and letters that uh different girlfriends and i wrote and stuff i still got all those so i mean that you know that means something to me i mean you know every every word i guess you know maybe being a writer, every word counts. Yeah. yeah. And words have always meant a lot to me. And that's why I cuss so bad, too. <laughs> I, oh, gosh. I am. I'm not kidding. We go to church and, you know, um, we got Bible study on Wednesday nights. And they'll go, well, you got anything to pray for? And so I said, please help me with my struggle and cussing because I am off. Oh, my gosh. I can singe wood with what I say sometimes. <laughs> Beth will be here on one of her days off, and I'll be back there writing her. I'll, she'll hear, and she'll go, oh, what's wrong? What happened? I said, I'll drop my pencil. She's going, <laughs> all that for dropping your pencil? I said, yeah, it's, it's over now. But, yeah, I'm, I'm creative with it, too. Oh, my God. Well, I just always, uh, you know, I refer back to those, like, scientific parentheses yeah. around those articles that say, like, people who swear are smarter than people who are not. I'm like, see? Fuck all y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I agree 100%. I'm with you on that. Gosh. It is. It's, um, yeah, it's hard to do. I love, I love words. Like you, I love words. 
That's fabulous. Well, we appreciate this so much. I think we are definitely maxed out on our time, and I'm sure you've got better stuff to do. But we really appreciate you taking the time for this. Thank you so much. I thank you, guys. This has been a wonderful day, and I really do appreciate you all putting up with my yak. <laughs> we love your yakking. <laughs> Seriously. And your writing. Keep doing both. We are going to be there supporting you all the way. We cannot wait to see what happens in the season finale. And like I said, graphic novel, Bad Day at Blackrock. Me and Tim and Chris, that's that's coming up here. We're working on that now. Do you have a release date for that or is it we're working on it now? I'd say we're working on it right now. So before the end of the year. Okay. Ooh. That's exciting. I'm all for more Bobo. It's it's going to be a it's going to be a graphic novel over sixty pages. So it may be right. At, yeah, this is so. Yeah, beginning of next year. Let's just put it that way. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Oh, guys, I appreciate it, and it's good to talk to you all. You just listened to the podcast Nerds of the Hub, produced, recorded, and edited by the TV Series Hub team. If you want to read TV and film-related articles, reviews, and more, go to www.tvserieshub.tv. Also, follow us on Twitter and check our Facebook page, both at TV Series Hub. Send us a message. Nerd proudly.